The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Sendo. For more information, visit villagesendo.org. Hi, everyone. Um, it's really nice to see you here online this evening in the little boxes. It's pretty dark on a cold, rainy February night in New York City, but um, at least it's getting dark a little bit later these days. I'm looking forward to that <laughs> continuing. Uh, for those I haven't met, my name is Fusho. I'm a senior student here at Village Zendo, and um, I hope we get to meet in person sometime soon, some way, somehow. I've been um, really enjoying listening to all the Dharma talks recently about our current um, study text, the Shodoka, um, Song of Enlightenment. And if you haven't read it, you can still find it online on our website. Um, good time to always, good night, good rainy night to take a look at that. Uh, song of enlightenment so I thought that I would um, go do some investigating myself and I better you know see what resonated with me and uh, report back so this is my report <laughs> um, the author it's, it's said that the verses of the Shodoka um, this song or this poem resonates with the author Yokodaishi's great awakening to the truth of reality. So the verses are about his great awakening to the truth of reality, um, which I think sounds so romantic. But I also think sometimes uh, these texts can feel kind of lofty and hard to reach, um, just depends that it can sound like a nice picture of something that I can aspire to but can't always relate to or maybe a little too philosophical um, unless we really you know can get into it and sometimes I have to read things a lot of times over and over and really let it sink in and sort of translate it for myself and um, not to mention there are a whole bunch of different translations quite often so sometimes that can help as well checking out a different translation. So what, what did that person take from it? Um, can help give some insight. And I usually just, um, I look for something that grabs me, some of something in the verses, maybe a hook or something that I can relate to, you know, something I can hold on to or recognize uh, and then see where, where that leads me. So in the Song of Enlightenment, our author, um, talks about his search for answers and for enlightenment and for meaning, which I think many of us can relate to as seekers. And he says, from my youth, I piled studies upon studies in sutras and scriptures. I searched and researched, classifying terms and forms oblivious to fatigue, 
I entered the sea to count the sands in vain. And then the Tathagata, Tathagata scolded me kindly. As I read, what profit in counting your neighbor's treasure? My work had been scattered and entirely useless. For years, I was dust blown by the wind. So he says he studied and studied and tried to learn as much as he could about the terms and the forms and the sutras of Zen until he was exhausted. So I can imagine us diligently doing our liturgy practice, learning the chants and the bows and when to ring the bells. And he also tried to learn the right way from others. I imagine he tried to watch people who seemed like they understood or they got something. But then the one who has thus come or has truly gone pointed out to him that he wouldn't find what he was looking for by counting his neighbor's treasure by comparing himself to others or by trying to be like them in hopes of gaining something for himself. And then he attributes his awakening to the sixth ancestor who he recognizes as his teacher. He says, I wandered over rivers and seas, crossing mountains and streams, visiting teachers, asking about the way in personal interviews. Since I recognize the sixth founding teacher at Sao Chi, I know exactly what is beyond the relativity of birth and death. And so uh, that's led me to think about our famous sixth ancestor. Um, in Zen, we have a this famous story of, and uh, legend about our sixth ancestor, uh, Zen master Huiyang, who's regarded as the founder of the Sudden Enlightenment School of Buddhism. And it focuses on, um, that school focuses on an immediate and direct attainment of realization. So there's a lot of very clear echoes, um, I think intentional echoes uh, in the song, song of Enlightenment here um, that you can hear in the story about the sixth ancestor. So the famous legend, and we do think more and more it's probably a legend, um, about the sixth ancestor's awakening goes like this. And I'm, I'm gonna paraphrase it for a while, just tell you my version. But um, when he was growing up, Huaynung's family was very poor and he only earned a living chopping and selling wood. And one day he went to the city with a bundle of kindling and he heard a customer reciting the Diamond Cutter Sutra. And when he heard a particular line, he was awakened immediately. So he eventually went to study with um, the fifth ancestor, the patriarch Zen master Hongren, who asked him what he could possibly know about the way, being that he was an illiterate barbarian from the South. And the patriarch asked him, where are you from? Huining replied, I come from the South. The patriarch asked, what are you looking for? And Huining answered, I just want to become a Buddha. I just want to be awakened, which is what we all often want to, want to do. Um, Patriarch said, people from the South have no Buddha nature. 
How can you expect to become a Buddha? Huynang answered, among people, there are northerners and southerners. But can that be true of Buddha nature? And the patriarch realized that he was an unusual person. And he sent him to work in the rice hulling shed. And Huynang toiled there, working with a mortar to husk the rice by hand, taking off the outer hull that covers the kernel and polishing each grain of rice until it was pure and white without stopping night and day. He did this for about eight months or so it's said. So then the very famous part of the story happened. Um, the patriarch was looking for a successor and he asked his students to compose a verse that showed their understanding of the Dharma. And he said, if words display the truth, I will confer the robe and the Dharma. And so uh, in this community, there was a, a senior monk who was very popular um, and clearly very brilliant. And he'd been studying there for years and years. And he knew all kinds of things and every kind of scripture and everybody was really admired him and was sure that he would be the successor. Uh, but this senior monk got a little nervous from all this pressure because everybody thought it would be him for sure. And he wasn't able to present a verse showing his understanding. So um, instead he decided to write it uh, on a wall when nobody was looking. And so the verse goes like this. The body is the tree of enlightenment. The mind is like a bright mirror stand. Wipe it clean over and over and do not let the dust gather. So he was saying basically um, practice, practice, practice. We should do our daily zazen and be diligent in all our studies. That's one interpretation. And the patriarch saw this verse and he knew it was the senior students first and he praised it in public. And he said, if later generations practice in accordance with this, they will get excellent results. And so Wei Neng heard about the verse and he asked someone to recite it to him and he listened to it. Um, and then he said, it's really good, but it's not quite perfect. So um, the other monks said, what are you talking about? You're just a simpleton. How do, you, how do you even know what you're saying? Don't be crazy. And Hui Neng said, I'll, I'm, I'm gonna add something to it. And he took a young servant with him that could write. And he wrote the, his verse, um, adding to it. He said, enlightenment is essentially not a tree. The bright mirror is not a stand. From the beginning, not a single thing exists. Where can the dust collect? So his comment was basically, we don't need to do any of this. It doesn't have a fixed form of any sort, whatever that is that we're seeking. So what could we possibly need to wipe away? And in the Song of Enlightenment, the author is also talking about the realization that what we're looking for is already there. And the freedom that comes with that realization. And as far as Zazen goes, as far as the seat of realization, he says, immediately everything melts and I enter the place beyond thought and words. Walking is Zen, sitting is Zen, speaking or silent, active or quiet. The essence is at peace. 
Even facing the sword of death, our mind is unmoved. Even drinking poison, our mind is quiet. So when everybody um, in the legendary story of Huining saw that verse, they, they recognized that person had written that verse was a living bodhisattva, but they didn't know who it was. And the patriarch did know who it was, but he um, pretended not to and publicly declared that it wasn't good enough, the statement. So the other monks really didn't think much about it. But during the night, the patriarch secretly went to the rice-holding shed to visit Huinang. And there's a koan about what happened after that. And it goes like this. China's sixth patriarch was Zen master Huineng. He worked in the rice hauling shed at Huang Mei. Once Zen master Hongren entered the shed and asked, is the rice white yet? Huineng answered, it's white, but it hasn't been sifted yet. Hongren struck the mortar three times with his staff. And Huineng shook the sifting basket three times times and entered the patriarch's room. And the story goes on to say that the patriarch secretly transmitted the Dharma to Huinang because he knew there would be an uproar if he did it publicly. And the sixth ancestor had to flee in fear for his life. The patriarch was looking at this rough brown layer of the oat hole covering the kernels of rice. The Huineng was diligently sifting and polishing, and he asked, is it white yet? Is it pristine, polished, perfect yet? And Huineng said, yes, it is, even though it hasn't been sifted yet. So are we enlightened yet? Yes. But still, uh, we need to do some sifting and some, some practice so that we can realize it. And I think obviously the story is encouraging because Huineng was considered a barbarian from the South or a simpleton who was uneducated, didn't have the luxury of studying the scriptures. He had to work a regular day job. Um, he was a simple woodcutter. But he too was able to realize the way. And he realized it immediately upon hearing a single phrase in the Diamond Sutra. And for me, it brings up an aspect of Zen that's always been very appealing to me. It's a reminder that this awakening is available to each and every one of us, no matter who we are or where we've come from or how much we know or don't know. It doesn't discriminate. Uh, it's something that we already have. And I love that the fifth ancestor, the patriarch, recognized this in Huineng and said, yes. And you too. That's my version of, of the inclusiveness of it. He sort of says, and you too. It's available. I love this motive, and you too. You don't have to be brilliant or famous or rich or a perfect student. And you don't have to pass 500 koans or memorize all the scriptures to realize what's already there in each moment. 
In the Song of Enlightenment, the author says, not only can I take hold of complete enlightenment by myself, but all Buddha bodies, like sands of the Ganges, can become awakened in exactly the same way. So someone realizing the way might be that guy sleeping on the subway next to me. It might be someone who doesn't have the same political views that I do. Uh, I have no doubt that the guys we sit with in our Sing Sing prison Sangha are able to take hold of complete enlightenment by themselves. And the flip side is that we still do have to practice and attend to our tasks in each moment and continue to refine the rice, even though it's already white. But the nature of reality that we encounter when we drop in, when body and mind drop away, is that it includes everything as it's arising in front of us. And it doesn't discriminate as far as who it's available to, but um, it also doesn't discriminate in the, the nature of reality that arises. It doesn't mean that by meditating a lot, we suddenly get to wear these rose-colored glasses where we can comfortably remain above it all or that we've achieved some kind of blissful enlightenment, which I think it can be an easy misconception that if we just practice hard enough or long enough or do it right, uh, we'll be protected by these uncomfortable things like old age, sickness, and death. But actually, um, both the sixth ancestor and the Shodoka tells us, when we let body and mind drop away through our zazen, the whole world comes rushing in and there's no avoiding it. And we can really experience our lives as they're happening and even participate fully uh, in them, no matter what it is that's happening. Walking is Zen, sitting is Zen, speaking or silent, active or quiet. The essence is at peace. Even facing the sword of death, our mind is unmoved. Even drinking poison, our mind is quiet. There's been a lot of, um, a lot of references to Thich Nhat Hanh recently after his passing. Um, the peace activist and author and poet and Buddhist monk and recognizes main inspiration for engaged Buddhism. And he wrote about meditation. Meditation is not evasion. It is a serene encounter with reality. The person who practices mindfulness should be no less awake than the driver of a car. Be as awake as a person walking on high stilts. Any misstep could cause the walker to fall. Be like a lion going forward with slow, gentle, firm steps. Only with this kind of vigilance can you realize total awakening. So if we know that total awakening is always available to all of us, does that affect how we respond to those around us? Can we include other people in that understanding? What about the barbarians we encounter in our daily lives? Can we be like the patriarch and say, and you too? 
And what about ourselves? I think it works the other way as well to be able to say, and me too. I already have this available to me. Even though there's aspects I might not like about myself or I might try to push away or separate from. What if I were able to see all of those things clearly as they're arising and say, and me too, and you too. There's always a question as we're sitting Zazen, are we sitting to avoid all these uncomfortable, imperfect things that come up in our daily lives? Or can we meet them with vigilance as they arise and fall? So some of you um, know that I've been going through treatment for breast cancer since July. Um, I did chemo first and then I had surgery and now I'm in the radiation phase of this really challenging uh, marathon. I'm doing radiation uh, 28 treatments, it's every day, Monday through Friday. So this phase uh, in particular has offered a vivid experience of 10,000 things arising in front of me. And there's different views I can have and that do come up, of course, um, during all of it. And one view is, ugh, I feel terrible. Uh, oh my God, is this really happening? This is scary. Why me? This isn't fair. Oh, I'm exhausted. Don't talk to me. Is it over yet? And those are my real, our real human emotions and experiences that need to be acknowledged as they arise. And if I can drop in and then be present, even for a minute through my Zazen or just by returning to my breath, um, suddenly I'm not the only one going through radiation treatment. Suddenly my heart can burst open because I notice there are small children who also have chemo heads with tumors being treated there in the center. Uh, with their parents in our waiting room and a lot of other patients with other types of cancer, many with brain tumors. And suddenly my experience includes the driver at my local car service, getting me there safely on time with his own family and challenges to worry about. And oh, there's the Hudson River gleaming in the sunshine all along the FDR up to Harlem where the treatment center is. There's the security guard at the building and the people greeting me to check me in. And oh, an army of nurses and the specialized technicians running the very high-tech equipment and the designers and engineers who built the machines and the artists and musicians who created the music I can request to listen to while I'm being treated and doctors and specialists, and oh, you too. And suddenly I'm part of this ocean of Buddha bodies and I'm swimming in the 10,000 things, intimately connected, involved in taking care and giving care and getting care from people who have lives 
and challenges and joys and sorrows, just like me. Some of them probably even have differing political views. The Shadoka sings, mental and physical reactions come and go like clouds in the empty sky. Greed, hatred, and ignorance appear and disappear like bubbles on the surface of the sea. Even facing the sword of death, our mind is unmoved. Even drinking poison, our mind is quiet. 